secret art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. By tapping into both the creative and business side of our brains, we can find a balance between risk-taking and practicality, leading to more success and fulfillment in both our personal and professional lives. I'm Katherine Lane Klein, entrepreneur and creative person, and in this podcast, we will hear success stories from people that are doing exactly that, and hopefully giving you ideas of how you can too. To the secret of business, and today my guest is David Pullen. You are just a, a firecracker or lightning in a bottle, whatever we want to call it, but we talked a little bit before this, and you are you are just like the perfect person for this podcast about, you know, having, you know, being driven, but yet having a whole lot of fun along the way. So why don't we start with you talking about the story spotters and a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Can can I just say also, thank you so much, because I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I sent firecracker kudos straight back at you. So I mean, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. The story spotters, we have been, and when I say we, it's me and my wife, I confidently say there are only two story spotters in the world because we made it up, basically. <laughs> and the way it happened is, is, is for about 25 years, we were, we were a business called McKechnie Pullen Limited. I'm David Pullen. My wife is Sarah J. McKechnie. And nobody knew what they did. They sounded like a small town solicitor or a real estate firm somewhere. But I mean, what we did was we helped people with, you know, essentially story and how they how they sort of owned the room when they were coming at leaders, teams, sales programs, change programs. And then back in 2020, when we all know what happened and the world stopped for a while, I was working online mm-hmm. with a guy called Neil Bearden, who now lives in North Carolina, I think it is. And he's a bit of a rock and roll storytelling prof from INSEAD, the business school. And he asked me, he said, listen, David, I've got all of my stuff's gone online. I um, I need some support with it. Would you come and help me out? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? So I worked with Neil and we got on really well. And one day after class, we were having a cup of coffee. And he said, what do you do exactly, David? And I said, well, essentially, my job is to go into businesses, speak to the leaders when they're doing a change program or sales program, whatever it is, and listen to what it is they're trying to achieve, and then try and find the stories that sit around the data and the facts that are really going to grab people's hearts, heads, and hands, and and really sit there and really sort of leap across, both off the page and across the room, so people go, oh, you remember that one when they said... And Neil said, oh, you're a story spotter. And I went, well, I am now. And uh, so, you know, since about 2020, I have been founder and director of the Story Spotters, and we help people in four ways. Help them spot, shape, and share the stories that they need to grab people's heads, hearts, and hands with. What stories do they tell by the way they show up in the room? Because we instantly make a, we instantly make a, an impression of somebody by the way they walk through the door. Um, how do you get stories out of other people? What stories are you listening for? And then finally, and the thing which I, I never thought would really take off, but has actually been the most important one, is what story are you telling yourself about yourself, um, which is going to either help or hinder you? So in a nutshell, that's me. That's the story spotters. I I love that because I too love the stories behind businesses. And I think that, and it's people in general, for the most part, one of my favorite parts of networking is just to finding out more about people and what they did and, and their path, which is maybe why I started doing this. But 
Um, there's no better way to engage a client or a potential client if they know your story. And I am the same way too. I will sometimes shop based on what the story of the business is. Um, oh. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some of that storytelling, especially the stuff that we tell ourselves? I think that is really a powerful thing. Well, I mean, you know, I've, I, I, uh... So one of the things, I mean, I originally trained as an actor, which, as I think I said to you earlier, my bank manager never quite understood because it's feast or famine in acting. <laughs> um, and I, I, so I worked as an actor in a relatively successful one for a number of years, but I also trained in other things. And one of those things was cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy. Now, I can guarantee that nobody watching this is going to start like clucking like a chicken because that's not what it's about. But really, I think <laughs> hypnotherapy is, it, it, it's really about changing somebody's tunnel of belief if you think it is um, you know who who was it it was it uh, what's her name um ford uh who said whether you believe yeah i think it was henry ford whether you believe you can or believe you can't you're right and it was you know yes. that's the thing really what do we believe and so the hypnosis stuff is really about getting people to believe things differently believe you know i've got a client i was working with in fact she's doing a big big sort of career making presentation tomorrow that's that's really about her own personal brand i mean it's absolutely at the center of the business strategy but her getting that right is 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 really important now she's really really good but there's this little voice on her shoulder that's saying come on really everyone knows more than you everyone's better at this than you and eventually they're going to find you out so when i talk about you know what story are you telling yourself that's on a personal level and then on another level with teams one thing i'm finding a lot at the moment is is almost what i would call internal startups i have clients who everybody's going through big transformational change at the moment. And they'll say, right, let's get data, let's get marketing together and let smash them together to form a team which is going to actually solve this problem we have, which is great. But this newly formed team has to form a, a story for themselves about who are we? What are we achieving? Why do we want to be here? What, what do we want to get out of this? And how do we want to help? So, so it works on both a personal and an organizational level about it's brand, really. It's brand, but it's a real belief. Yeah. It's a heart heartfelt brand, not just on the nice things on the wall. Yeah, uh, I did an exercise once that was essentially you physically turned around to look at the person you were, and oh. really think about wow, from there to here, you know, actually, I've done some things, and it was uh, a very powerful exercise. Just in that thinking about where the you know the how I was raised and all the struggles I went through to get to where I am today, and that, even that helped me change my story a lot. I, I Catherine, I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I think that that's the it, one of the things that is central to my work is is what I call the what I don't call it, it's called the ABT frame framework, which is and but therefore, and it's it's famously used by the guys who who uh, who create who created South Park. But Randy Olson, who today <laughs> has published a new book called the ABT Framework for Medicine, has sort of brought this into the business into the scientific world. Really, I'm doing the uh, me and a guy called Park Howell in Arizona. I mean that we're we're sort of right at the center of the business stuff but it's that but bit which is the really important thing because i think a lot of people in business get into you know get into that thing of saying oh we did this and we do this and we do this and therefore and 
you know, sequentially, that is a story. I mean, it is a sequence of events, but it's just not a very good story because it's those those buts, the the struggles we overcome, the the scars we've created, which really form us and and show our values, they show our worth, they show our strength, all of those things. So, so actually, being willing to to show the struggles, as you say, which go into making the person that sits here now or the organization that sits here now is absolutely fundamental. And I, I think since you were an actor or still, we'll say you still are an actor. Thank you. That uh, if a story has no struggle in it, it's oh. a pretty boring story. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. I mean, that's the, you know, that, that you know, I, I can't remember because when I was, when I was at university studying and I, and I, I, I studied screenwriting as a big part of my, my course and create, yeah, that was just one of the things that really struck me. And I, I can't remember who it said, but I mean, the, the basic model of any story is get your hero up a tree, throw sticks at them, and get them to find the way out of the tree. So, I mean, that's it, really. Is it's in that anything? I mean, you know, you know, uh, Die Hard to pick one off the top of my head. I mean, everyone is like, here's the normal world, but then something happens, and suddenly, you know, to go, to, you know, Keanu's on that bus with a bomb on it. What's he going to do? Just regular guys that have this, <laughs> this big situation they got to get themselves Absolutely. out of. Now, those are both actually really perfect examples. Now, you have created this great business, with, like you said, with your wife, and you were acting. But what did you do as a kid that, you, that was just really fun and creative? Well, I acted, funnily enough. I grew up in Australia, actually, and that really? was, you know, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I grew up in, I, so, so despite what you hear here, I mean, there's a, you know, there, there's, there's 20 years of me being an Australian, which I, which I grew up, and I'd always sort of put, my parents were English, and they trained at drama school in the UK and then moved to Australia and became teachers. So somewhere in the family mythology, there was always British theatre and British comedy and, you know, British television. There was all that stuff going on. Having said that, the main telly I watched as a cop was my favourite Martian, I Dream of Jeannie and Gilligan's Island. So go figure. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that, yes. was, that, that was the main thing I watched on TV as a kid. So, I mean, I was that, that was essentially it. But but th- th- there was this myth of, of, of theatre and... Basically, I was a dreamer. I was, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I was, we're all storytellers as a kid. I just forgot to stop. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing, really. I mean, it was, it, it, I mean, Australia, like many countries, I think, especially for men, I mean, they put a, they put a, a, a huge stake by how good you are as a sportsman. And sure, I played sports, but I played for some. I played fullback for an Australian rules football team, and I didn't touch the ball all year because this team was so good. <laughs> this thing was about sort of hundred twenty meters away from me, hundred meters away from me. I never saw the thing. I just stand there by myself, making up stories in the goal at fullback, just waiting for, you know, just and then getting off. You know, never having broken sweat once. So I mean, I did theatre as a kid. I mean, that was the thing. Which sort of, I was. I heard somebody ask this question. The other day, actually, they somebody said, "What was the thing that made you weird as a kid? That is your superpower now." Which I thought was such a good question. My weirdness and the thing question. that made me different. There you go. That was it. I was yeah, the, I was the weird theater kid, but just look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> I might 
have to reframe my question to ask what made you weird as a kid, because I, I, I love that because, you know, we, and we did look at ourselves as like, you know, am I the only one? But yeah. it, it was, it was essentially our superpower. And yet people just didn't appreciate it, I guess, at the time. <laughs> I know. And that's why I love what you said about looking back because it's the, because it's the, it, 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 it's the stuff we did. And, you know, we, do you know, funnily enough, we've been doing some some work globally with EY, the accountancy firm, on storytelling internally about how they use story internally. And one yes. of the exercises we do is my wife tells the story of her 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 bear, her, her her toy bear Julian. And Julian had a bit of a personality. He would march up and down like chief of police and arrest all of her sisters' dolls and everything, and then sort of send them to prison <laughs> and things like. That. So I mean, Julian had a real life. And then we get people to go away and tell the story of their favorite child stories of kid these are people from all around the world who end up in a zoom room together from sort of bangalore through to uh, texas i mean it's sort of we've had them all in there and it's amazing when people start connecting to the games that they played as kids how little things of that have you know bled into what they are now the sort of like the figuring out stuff with games they used to play and you know the way that they you know they used to play sort of with the, what, what games they made their toys play that have suddenly turned them into an hr director <laughs> and what i also like about when we talk about the things that we did as kid like you were t- you know mentioning some of the tv shows that you watched i watched a lot of those too and yeah. we start finding just these common things that we all have which at one basically tells us that we're all a lot, you know, closer than we think in, in our thinking and what we did and where we came from. But, uh, you know, just also, like you said, just kind of creating that path of if, if, you know, if you were able to sit and watch I Dream of Jeannie for, you know, hours on end or whatever, you were able to make a career <laughs> eventually. Yeah. So there yeah. isn't, you know, so we a lot of value in that time as a kid when we are just having fun that can just turn into something that is just so much more valuable and we need to remember that all of that is valuable oh, oh it, because it's what it's what it what make it's what makes us special and i think too often what happens is that as we get older we have to fit into a you know we buy a house and we have a car and you know we have a 9 to 5 job and whatever and, and suddenly those little things get they don't disappear, but they just get the edges chipped off them. They get ironed down and pushed away. Right. And, and it's like, you know, I mean, what is it that makes you different, makes you stand out? Because, yes, we have these shared experiences, but we're all individuals. And I remember hearing Je- the actor Jeff Bridges once being interviewed. And he was asked – when he first went to Hollywood, I think it was Jack Lemon said to him, said, you got to be different, kid. And it's like, you know, I mean, there are, there are tons of people who look like you here. And, you know, famously, when Robert Redford was starting, they said, throw a stick at Malibu and you'll hit 12 of them. But, I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's it's what makes you different. And I think that really sits right at the heart of our childhood and, you know, how, how – Absolutely. Grab hold of that stuff. The weirdness, back to your point. What's the what's the thing that made you strange say, that makes you great? you got to embrace that weirdo that you have because that's what makes you different. Embrace the I try to tell my daughter that, you know, sometimes too, because there's always like that group of kids at school that, um, they have like that, they're all the same. And when they're, when you're the weird kid, you know, you kind of get a little, you know, you're not taking it seriously or whatever. I'm like, Oh my God, be the weird kid. The weird kids are the ones that are going to go different. 
And Catherine, don't you think that's getting even more prevalent now with the rise of social media? Oh where I mean, you know, I mean, it's it, it's just there's I I am so glad my son is now sort of coming up for thirty, and he was just before when kids had a USB point in their crib, he still read books and did drawings and stuff like that. So it was, right, right. you know, and which I'm really glad of now because it's, it's, you know, the pressure on people to conform or to find their, right. to find the gang that they conform to, I think is really, it's God, that's a huge pressure people are under. Yeah. We're here for the weirdos though. Yeah. Be the weird one for sure. Let's Way hear more it for fun, the weirdo. For one. <laughs> was it keep Austin weird? Keep okay. the world weird. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you you got into acting at a young age and then you pursued that for many years after that. And okay. then you what made you decide to start a business doing storytelling then? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's a great well, there's a good story there because I didn't decide. It sort of chose <laughs> me. And the reason I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't run quick enough. So the quick story is this. When our son was born, my <laughs> wife, Sarah Jane, who we'd met acting, um, and, and she made the very wise decision to try and do something which, A, earned more regular money, but and didn't mean she had to travel away from home so much. And so she went to work, and I think this is probably the late 1990s this happened. She went to work for an organization which is when, just when actors were going into into business about what well, they used to call it impact training, how do you sort of how do you know you, you, how do you own the room basically? And she was really really good at it. And I was running a course separately in the sometime when I wasn't acting. There was a drama school that I worked for, and I ran a course for business people called Your Voice is the Business, which is about how they use their voice. But it also had some storytelling in there. There was one particular exercise I used to do, which was about, you know, listen to somebody else's story and then tell that story back as if it had happened to you. And it was always something, a story about something that they had achieved. And so I would be telling your story, Catherine, as if it had happened to mm -hmm. me. And you get people going, oh my goodness, was that me? Did that really happen? Wow, that's extraordinary. You could have heard a pin drop. Anyway, Sarah Jane, my wife, was working for this company, then started working by herself. And she had two massive contracts with KPMG, one in London and one in Zurich in Switzerland. And one day she woke up and literally couldn't get out of bed. She got chronic fatigue syndrome. I mean, it was, and, and, and it was, it was really tough. I mean, she couldn't move and for nearly two years, she was in a really bad way. Anyway, she rang up the partner in charge and told him what had happened. And I'm not hundred percent sure what happened, but I'm pretty sure his question was, do you know who anyone who could take over? At which point I saw her go, Yes, I think I do. <laughs> and it was me. Anyway, within 36 hours, I found myself in, 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 in Zurich, on Lake Zurich, coaching a team who were pitching for a massive piece of work on Sarbanes-Oxy compliance. And they could have been speaking Greek. There was great coffee. There was great chocolate. There were a lot of very nice three-piece pinstripe suits. <laughs> I had not got a clue what I was talking about, or what they were talking about. At the first break... Um, I said, let's grab a coffee. I'm just going to go and clear my head. You clear your head. Let's come back, see where we are. And I ran to the toilet and I said, to, I called Sarah Jane on my cell phone. I said, listen, Sarah Jane, get me out of here. I will busk for the rest of my life. I don't care, but this is not for me. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, well, listen, I don't really understand what it is they're talking about. And she said, if you don't understand what they're talking about, you can be pretty sure they don't 100% understand it themselves. Get them to tell a story oh, wow. that proves the point. 
It was the best piece of coaching ever. I and and so I, she said, get them to tell a story that proves the point. What's it going to look and feel like working with them? I went, oh, I could do that. I went back into the room and I said, come on, guys, tell me what, where have you done this? Show, tell me where you've done this before. What was it look like? Who was there? When did it happen? What were the conversations that went on? What's it going to look like for these guys? They told those stories. They incorporated them into the pitch. They won the pitch, and I thought, oh, I could do this. 20 years later, as I say, here I am as a story spotter, basically still doing that with a few extra bells and whistles of, of skills added onto it. So that's, it shows me. Thank you. I, I swear some of the best jobs do. And that's when you talk about, you know, find find the place that, you know, uh, the holes, you know, find the holes and, and fill them with your business idea or whatever. And I mean, that's exactly it. And that it tends to be the, the more successful way to go, especially when you get to have the fun of creating it too. Um, so do you still get the opportunity to act or is, is, or have you just kind of wrapped your whole, all your creativity into this job that you have, which sounds like you kind of do too. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question. The, the short answer is I don't do too. I still do some voiceover work, which I really enjoy. I just like Ooh, vocal nice. stuff. I, I really like it. I love a sound booth. I do like a sound booth because, you know, just making something come to life there. I haven't been on stage for probably about five years now. We did something and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was semi-professional. It was me and a whole group of, I, I live in a very strange village in the Southeast of England, which is, there are three Oscar winners to my knowledge living here. I won't tell you who they are, but I mean, it's a very odd little village with a very creative bunch of people around it. And we were directed in a play by, actually he's not an Oscar winner, but he was a very famous character in Game of Thrones, and his wife directed us in in this play. So, so there's a, there are there, there, there are some strange things in the air around here. So that was the last time I acted. But I, <laughs> most of my stuff is thrown into the creativity of this business. I love creating content for LinkedIn, little films. I've I've discovered a love of editing because, as I say, I did writing at university. Part of, that was that, and then acting. And the thing I always was told about filmmaking is a story is told three times. It's told when it's written, when it's performed, and when it's edited. So I've, I've really discovered a love of editing. And actually, there was a, there's another friend of mine. We used to create some films during lockdown, which we, we created a little channel for that on Instagram. And that, that got quite a following, actually, just strange things edited together that made people laugh. So that's my creativity, really. Uh, yeah, and it, it sounds like you you have a very infectious problem with it too, because you just keep you just keep making more things, which I absolutely love. <laughs> well, it becomes like a disease, so do do? doesn't it? I mean, sorry, it does. It does. It's like I have to do this. I'm just com completely oh. compelled. Do you do anything that it's to kind of completely unplug though? Like you're like I'm just gonna take a walk. I'm gonna travel. I'm going to, you know, bake a cake. I mean, do do something like that to completely unplug. Me, well, actually, yes. you've picked. Uh, <laughs> you, you probably picked two of the big ones. I am. I love traveling. I love traveling. I'm a great believer in 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 getting out of um, your environment and, and 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 discovering the wonder of the world. So I love traveling. I um, 
Do you know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, when I, when I, and I do travel for work and, you know, I'll often find myself in different cities of the world and, you know, that can, you know, often people say, oh, what was Copenhagen like? And people will say, well, I don't know, I was in an office really. And it was like, you were just in a different location in oh, another yeah. office. But I, I really, really make the effort to, to walk. If I can walk to the office or we go out for dinner with a client at night and people say, oh, well, let's get taxi. said, do you know what? I'm just going to walk back. And, and that, um, I was talking to a friend this morning about that solo traveling thing in a city or wherever it is really of, um, you never have that question of shall we, because you can do what you want. If you want to turn a corner and go down there and discover <laughs> that, you know, it's the, you can, I love it. So I mean, which is a, so I love traveling. I love discovering new environments and I love cooking. I love cooking really that, that I will, it's funny that I like editing now as well because I one of my favorite things is to I mean I've, 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 I've there's a moratorium on book recipe books in this house now my wife will kill me if I ever buy another one she doesn't know how many are in the Kindle as well <laughs> That's but I mean I despite the number of cookbooks I have which I often buy for the stories of the chefs there is nothing I like more than opening up the refrigerator and looking there and going. So that's what we've got, have we? What can we make from that? And just sort of like inventing with the flavors and stuff in there. That I could lose myself for a whole afternoon on that. I, I absolutely love it. And I have really loved this conversation, David. Um, I'm going to have all your information in the contacts for this podcast. So if people need to get in touch with you or if anything, follow David on LinkedIn. I'm going to do that immediately after this Please. because if you are – putting up content continuously, it must be as delightful as you are. So I don't thank want to miss you. out on that. So thank, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you so I've much really for doing this. It. I really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed myself, Catherine. Thank you so much for inviting me on. All right. You have a fantastic day. And you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. The Secret Art of Business is supported by Portfolio Creative. Portfolio Creative is a recruiting and staffing company specializing in finding marketing talent. Go to PortfolioCreative.com to get started in finding your next marketing person or your next job. We are experts. We are creative. We are good humans. Please subscribe or follow this podcast to get the latest episodes. And let me know if there's someone you think of that would be a great guest on the show. Here we can build a community that believes creativity and drive can work together.